Matt and Friends Drink the Universe is proudly sponsored by the Poppins Travel Company. Whether you're traveling across the universe like us or right here on planet Earth, it's always a good idea to have an expert to help you plan your trip. For your travel experts, look no further than the Poppins Travel Company. They'll help you book your next adventure or vacation, and the best part is they'll do your travel planning for free. To schedule a virtual appointment with one of their highly qualified travel agents, visit their website, www.poppinstravelcompany.com. That's www.poppinstravelcompany.com, or call them at 407-494-4070. That's 407-494-4070. Hello, listeners. We're all here to have fun. But we'd like to take a moment to encourage you to always drink responsibly. Never drink and drive. If you have a complicated relationship with alcohol or other substances and you want to talk about it, you can call 1-800-662-4357 for support. Thank you for listening. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. We have liftoff. Welcome to Matt and Friends Drink the Universe. I'm Walter Brewright. Welcome to In Local Brews, where we dive deep into the flavorful world of our community's unique beverages. Join us as we raise our glasses to the stories, traditions, and craftsmanship that go into every sip. From the hidden gems tucked away in our neighborhoods to the latest trends brewing on the scene, we're discovering the heart and soul of local libations. Today we are live at Bald Birds Brewing. Hello everyone and welcome back to Matt and Friends Drink the Universe, now part of the Unfiltered Studios podcast network and very excited to be part of that network of creators. We are recording live today at Bald Birds Brewing in Autobahn, Pennsylvania. Did I pronounce that right? You did, yeah. Hi, look at that. Pronouncing things not normally something I do well as a host of a podcast. So there you go. Um, so we're here in Autobahn, PA, and I'm going to go around the table and let everybody that's with me introduce themselves. Hi, this is Andy. I'm excited to be here, learn about the amazing story for Ball Birds Brewery, and taste some delicious beers. And our guest of honor today. Hi, uh, Joe Farrar, uh, longtime listener, first time caller. So thanks for having me on your <laughs> show today, and uh, looking forward to talking about our beer and our story. Very cool. And you are also the owner. Yes, sir. All right. You want to talk a little bit about how you got into brewing the name Bald Birds? Tell us a little bit of the story. Yeah, absolutely. And then we're going to drink your beer. So. All right, let's do that. Well, I'm already drinking my beer, which is good. So, uh, yeah, so prior to starting our brewery, uh, I was a banker. I was in banking and finance for 20 years and had a chance to travel a good bit around the country and work around the country, which is pretty cool. So I have a lot of different experiences. And typically anywhere I went, I always found a brewery to go to to Obviously, I like drinking beer, but then also exploring like what different techniques are and different flavors and different beers are around the country. And then uh, in 2005 or six, I think it was, I was working on a commercial loan for Victory. So Victory was doing a kitchen expansion out in their downtown location, and I was one of the finalists to do a commercial loan for them. I had a chance to spend a ton of time with uh, Bill and Ron to learn a lot about brewing. And so whenever you're doing due diligence for a commercial loan, you really dig into all aspects of that business is I spent a lot of time doing research and I'm saying that in air quotes uh, and just learning about the craft beer industry and like watching the craft of victory with some of the best beers ever made in the world. Like their Prima Pills is one of the predominant beers in, in the world. It wins medals every year. 
and and just it, I really began to drew towards craft beer because at that time I was not drinking craft beer. I was drinking stuff that was mass produced. It was not great quality, but I could drink quantity. And so really learning the <laughs> behind the scenes and how those beers are made really inspired me to start our journey towards Bald Birds. And at that point, I knew I didn't have the money to start a brewery. I didn't have any idea what I did or didn't want to do. So I started saving money knowing at some point I do want to start something in craft beer. And so I saved money for 11 years. And then when we finally, uh, Abby and I sat down and wrote our business plan, you know, starting a brewery is very hard. It's very capital intensive. It's just a very expensive industry to get started in. Uh, finding equipment, finding location, like everything you need to like find a perfect space. And it also takes time to build out your brewery. And so saving for 11 years. And then, um, you know, we were struggling tremendously. We couldn't find a lender that wanted to give us money. We couldn't find a, a location to put our brewery in. We were really struggling thinking about hanging it up. And then a robin built a nest in the wreath of our front door in South Philly. And when those four eggs hatched of those baby birds, we got a location locked up. I got an SBA 7A loan from a lender in New Jersey. And so we were off on our journey to start our brewery. And so we came in and we found this location in Audubon, Pennsylvania, which is ironically the bird capital of the world. And we opened (laughs) our first, yeah, it's the bro capital world. And so we opened our location in Audubon in September of 2018. And at that day, Abby was nine months pregnant with Graham. And so like we had a Graham Monday morning. And so we're here, our grand opening, Abby's like selling beers and slinging beers. She's nine months pregnant. Um, It's our second child, first location. It's just been a labor of love for a year and a half trying to find this location doing a fit out, building it out, finding equipment, everything that had to go along with it. So I would work at the bank during the day. And then come here during night and then hang boards and, and do decorations and do construction during oh, wow. that whole time. And so I was like working from six in the morning till two in the morning, sleeping for a couple hours and doing it all over again for a period of like five months. Wow. And so it was a lot of work, but well worth it. And then Abby and I were actually horrible brewers. And so we said, you know, what? we're going to open a brewery. We should probably <laughs> learn how to brew beer. And we got one of those homebrew kits, uh, and then we tried to brew a session IPA at our house, and uh, it was awful. I gave some to Andy. Now, <laughs> now I think remember that case I gave you it was like yes, one of the I worst. Remember, it was like, yeah. He's still alive. I remember, I remember you talked about how I mean, amazing still... it was, and I was like, yeah, no, no, no this, it was, is a, this is a dream pour. It was an awful <laughs> beer, and and so we uh, and we were up and running. And at that point, I ha- I didn't intend to leave the bank uh, for a pretty long time because we had a good job there, but it kind of took off and started forming into something we just weren't expecting, and you know. It's a lot easier sitting down in front of people and handing them a beer than it is handing you loan papers. And so people are very passionate. We have a great customer base. We love Bald Birds Brewing Company. i got awesome customers. Everybody's very kind. Everybody's nice. And like everyone, when you got in the tap room today, everyone's smiling. And so I think that's one of the things where breweries always have a unique opportunity to pull communities together and be a community center for those local areas. And I think we... We do that here in Audubon, and we also do that in our other other flagship uh, brewery in Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania. Like we're a big part of the community, and I think that's one of the things that Abby and I are very excited about. Is one, it's a passion of ours. We love beer, we love craft beer, we love being entrepreneurs, but also we get to make a really big impact in our communities. Jobs with um, we support every little league team. We support everything we can just to make sure we're involved in everything oh, awesome. in those communities. That's and so, awesome. like that's the kind of stuff where you get to do that. You typically wouldn't have an opportunity to do if I was still at the bank. And so we support anything we can in those communities, which I think is pretty cool. That is awesome. That's that one is... thing that's very clear from you guys, too. Like, I mean, despite the fact that you have an excellent beers, but you guys are very community-focused. Yes. You can see that every time you come in here. Yeah, it's important to us. I mean, we want to make sure we give back and just give people opportunity. And it's pretty important to us to, to do that and be involved. And so it, we're very blessed to have a chance to do that. Very cool. So I, I was putting two and two together. 
as a sidebar, when you said the bird capital of the world here in Autobahn, is it like the Autobahn Society? Is yes. Here? Okay. Yes, they're right up All the road, right. and they, they have a... They have a pet named uh, Pet Blue Jay named Conrad who's been here quite a bit. We have to cut him off every once in a while because he's a he's a Blue Jay, but uh, and they're a very territorial bird and they'll start fighting people. And then they have a one-eyed alley bring down here and you know, any different types of events we've held, they've they've been very supportive. And so we do like birding events and different things like that. And there's a huge community for birding that we never knew about until we started opening up, and uh, it's just pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I will say I'm a big fan of your logo, also. Partially because I look like your logo. You do, yes. <laughs> Bald guy. I got the beard going. When I was trimming my beard this morning, I was like, I'm going to get this as close to the logo as possible, see what I can do today. Honestly, collectively, all three of us look the same thing out of that logo. Pretty, yeah. yeah, there's lack of hair, hair up top, but you know, party in the front, I guess, if that makes any sense. Around your face, that's good. Yeah. Excellent, we'll take that. But yeah, so I think that you know what's interesting about the design is uh, the, the individual who drew that, so there's a company called 99designs, and basically what you do is you write your story and your narrative about your brand. And you talk about who you are, what you did, talk about your path to get to your brand, and you share this whole story. And then it's like a, it spreads it out to a bunch of different artists throughout the world, and then it's like a contest. And so whoever wins, wins the money you put up. So I think we put up like, I don't know, 500, 750 mm-hmm. bucks. We got like 40 designs back. And so the person that drew that, I never met them. Wow. They've, they've never seen my face. They've oh, never wow. seen me. And so it's not something where I'm just like putting my face out there. It's like they actually drew that picture without ever meeting me or Abby, just reading our story. And so it's kind of cool. That is amazing. Uh, she's from Massachusetts. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but yeah. she, uh, she's from Massachusetts. And we went through that process and uh, ended up with our logo. And, uh, and then for our sister distillery, Abby drew the logo of the four birds. Actually, Matt Ulrich drew it from college. Oh, yeah. um, and then Abby kind of tweaked a little bit with the birds, but... And we're sticking with that theme. It was kind of neat to do that process and go through that because we got some really cool creative mm-hmm. on, our, uh, on our story that we ended up not going with, but just some really cool things people came up with. Very cool. I finally got down to this location, which is much closer mm-hmm. to where I live, but I have been also to the Jersey Shore yeah. PA location for Andy, and I have not given you formal congratulations on the <laughs> podcast yet. Well, thank you very much. Yes. So... Andy is married. Congratulations. That was, happened much. shortly after the last time we had you yep. on the podcast. My wife and, and I, Melissa, we were uh, fortunate enough to have our wedding at the Ballbirds location in Jersey Shore, PA, and it was an incredible venue. Um, just everything from top to bottom was just an absolute, I mean, like the best experience of all time. Who was the best man in your wedding? I don't remember. Was that um, somebody? I think I, the other bald bird sitting across from me. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> Joey. I, I thought so. Yes. And it, gorgeous location up there the view off the deck out mm. front looking out into the mountains is just a spectacular yeah. place to have a beer it really is my wife and i walked out there kind of looked at each other and went this is it's like we're drinking at a postcard right now this is amazing <laughs> it was great it was very it was an unbelievable location just like this one is too it's just um like i said it's community focused and it's just very like you open the doors and i don't want to say quote unquote feel at home but it's very welcoming yeah, and your statement before is very true. When I was walking through the tap room, that is what I noticed: is everybody had a smile on their face. You were greeting people. The bartenders were greeting people. Everybody it was like people knew each other as they were coming in, and, and it's just a very friendly and, and nice environment. And I'm now looking at the beer that we have yes. in front of us here. So, right. do you want to lead the tour? Absolutely. So let's right. uh, we'll we'll continue our tour about our locations and then talk a bit about beer. And so yeah, um, so our our facility in Jersey Shore is one hundred fifty five thousand square feet. We have a, a, a large scale production facility in the back. And the first beer we're talking about today is other robots. And I think that when you look at a lot of the beers we brew, we love to stick with technique beers. And you look at your lagers, your pilsners, a lot of the German beers. And so other robots is is brew with all German ingredients, which is awesome. 
And it's one of the first beers we ever use our centrifuge on. And so when you look at it, the clarity in it, the, uh, how clear it is, how clean, how crisp, our water profile in Jersey Shore is very, very good. And so when you're drinking this Hellas, very true to style, very true to authentic German beers. And so we're very proud of this beer. And it's one of my favorite ones to drink as well. So, uh, and so cheers, guys. Other robots? Cheers. Our Hellas cheers. Lager. Delicious. It is. It is crisp. It is smooth. It was yeah. refreshing. It is a session drinker. Evidenced by the fact that at Andy's bachelor party. <laughs> yeah, that is an excellent lager. Yeah, that was my go-to session for that particular evening and early morning. And it really is crisp, refreshing. It tastes like a traditional German beer. You get those German yeah. ingredients in there and for sure. And I, I'm a sucker for German beer in general. A lot of people don't like the really kind of wheat heavy. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it very much. And this is just a nice, easy beer to drink and I wanted to lead off with a lager as opposed to an IPA because we've been talking a lot on the podcast and Joey I've been interested to hear your opinion on this as well that one of the kind of repeat sentiments with IPAs is that it, it's almost a little like wall spackle where you can make an IPA and if something mm-hmm. doesn't quite go right you can add some other ingredients and change it up but a solid lager is a much harder beer to brew overall and this is a, a great example of um, a good beer. And I will also say that uh, on a previous episode, a couple of previous episodes I've done, we've talked about like, go with the light, go with the lager right up front. And if that one's good, you're in for good rest of the day. So I'm feeling <laughs> like we're in for a good rest of the flight here. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And there's a lot of good breweries around here doing really good pilsners and lagers. And I do think that's a good indicator of the strength of the brewer when you're doing that. And I, But like, you know, IPAs are so interesting because the depth of flavor you can create with an IPA is just, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's almost the, the Complexity in some of them rivals like a decent wine in terms of complexity and a good stout. And so I think that, you know, the, the traditional beer is because it's all about patience. It's like you can't rush a, a lager or a pilsner because if you rush them and try to get them out the door in three weeks, like it's going to be not going to be a very good beer. But if you take your time and be patient, I think we lagered that one for over six weeks. And so I think that wow. it's, a, it's a patience beer. The interesting thing about that is you can't sell a, a lager for eight bucks a pint even though the time to make it is probably two or three times out of an ipa again it's much cheaper to make because the the grain bill is different mm-hmm. you're not adding all the hops you're not dry hopping and so it's a little bit different in terms of cost to make it but i would drink that beer all day long versus an ipa because they're just like yeah. i it just there's so many of them but there's a lot of good ipas out there right now and so it's like they uh if i look at the business side of things and think about the brewery from that aspect IPAs like keep the lights on because a good a good hazy IPA. Um, our last beer today is going to be a West Coast IPA. We talk about it. And we'll, maybe we'll bring some other ones back mm-hmm. here. Um, but really well done IPAs are kind of the foundation of what you do inside your tap room. And then any to go beers. If I were to look at like what we're selling to go, like you do get your pilsners, you get your lagers. We do a lot of to go sours, which are very popular right now. And then the rest of them are IPAs. And I think when people are are buying stuff to go home, they're not necessarily buying the five and a half percent guy they want the nine percent mm-hmm. beer and the eight percent where they go home they can have one or two really enjoy them sit and then go to sleep <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing with the ipas it's yeah. like the whole industry is just i mean i don't want to it's saturated with ipas mm-hmm. like there's so many different variations of ipa west coast um you know new england's hazy you know lactose whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. it's just overall it's just saturated and that's why I think the traditional loggers and the pilsers are just my personal preference. Like, you know, you have, you know, very minor, you know, variations of those, but like, it's just the process of it. I just think it's just, it's more of a refreshing beer. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Oh man, we have a guest standing here with donuts. We Girl do. There. That's the best kind of guest, one that brings donuts. <laughs> Feel free to hop in, Abs. Abby, Joey's wife, has just brought us some delicious looking food. And I am very, expi- very wash excited. Wash the beer down. We have federal donuts. Yes. Um, and yes, it is donuts and chicken. Oh. Yes, can't go wrong. <laughs> chicken sandwich on a donut. I don't Can know I get what... that truck to park in front of my house? <laughs> yeah. I won't live very long, but. No. Oh, I didn't know the chicken sandwich was on a donut. No, I think it's on a bun. Okay. The chicken sandwich is not on a bun. I would have drew the line on that one. Okay. Regardless, you would have drew, I would have not drawn a line there. I would have gone back for a second sandwich. I was <laughs> yeah, but I do think, like, you know, IPAs, they're, they're not going anywhere. And, and I think that, you know, West Coast are, are becoming a bit more popular now, I'm seeing, in terms of, like, our to-go sales. Stuff that wholesalers are looking for, you're seeing more West Coast desire. I think the, the, the big hazies, I think the people that do it really, really well are, are going to be pretty consistent, have a bunch of skews everywhere you look. But I do think that it's going to be a very crowded space for a long time. And if you're you know, up and coming or a starter brewery, it's going to be a tough, uh, tough place to enter with your IPAs because there's just so many people doing it really well. I mean, I look at New Trail. They're everywhere. They have eight to ten beers in every single store. They do, they're very, very good at what mm-hmm. they do. They, they know the IP game, IPA game, I would say, better than anybody in Pennsylvania, and they're just phenomenal at what they do. And so you look at breweries like that where they're IPA-centric, they're very, very good at what they do, and they have a great brand, great marketing, great distribution. I mean, everything that they do at New Trail is pretty much perfect for the IPA game. Do you feel like when a brewery, like a brewery is so primarily focused on one particular style, like whenever they all of a sudden start incorporating other aspects of the style, does that affect the taste of those? You didn't think, or it's not as prob- you know not as popular as the other ones. I think you look at like they have multiple iterations of each one of their beers, and okay. I think that, like some of it is when you have a core beer that's really really good. The way I would think about that is that you always do slight iterations to see if anything else takes off, and so like could be a double, could be a double dry hops, could mm-hmm. be a triple, could be a different fruit or a different hop. And so you always want to find, like, if you get a brand that does really good, that's really hard to do right now and to find something that's popular. Slight iterations to stay true to, like, that particular name of that beer, that style, and then just slight small changes to add another skew to kind of sneak in there and it kind of won't cannibalize the original beer, but it'll do enough to where, like, they're going to get a lot of, like, notoriety and it looks like a different beer. And so, like, I think that, again, they do that very well. Um... And so I think that uh, that's kind of what you see with the IPA game right now. So a little while ago, I had Gina Masaki on from Lost Tavern Brewing, and they were doing Life's a Beach. And at the time, I think they were on, like, Volume 5. And now they're on, like, Volume 9. It's the same thing. It's the same yeast pitch they've been using mm-hmm. through the whole process, same batch of ingredients, just kind of tweaking. But it's, it's amazing to me the process and the thought that goes into taking one product and then iterating it like that and seeing what comes out of it as you move forward. And yeah, because yeah. I mean, every brew is a risk. And I think that every beer you make, every recipe you come up with, and I think that depending on the strength of your brewer and who's making your beers and who's doing your recipes, every, everything's a risk because you never know if something's going to go really well and sell fast or it's not going to sell at all. And I think that's every single batch has that risk. And there's always like, you don't hit your temps, you don't hit every, every spec you need to do to hit your recipe. There's always something that could go wrong. Um, there's always mechanical failure. There could be something with your glycol system. I and mean, there's so many variables that go into making a really good beer. I think when you, th- when you step back and think about all the different inputs with various grains, where you're sourcing them from, what you're getting, your hops, your this, your that, your mash, your water. I mean, there's so many things going in to make a really good beer that it takes a smallest minute 
issue to make the beer not be good. And so I think that every single beer you brew, there's a risk. And so people that are consistent and they make really good beers all the time, like they're very, very good at what they do. And I think that, uh, um, again, Lost Tavern is another one. They just, they make really good beer, very clean, crisp, good beer. They, they, they don't uh, miss very often. And so like they're a very good brewery, very sound brewery. And so they make really good stuff. Every time I've gone there, I've enjoyed every beer I've had. So I, I will say this, as far as the occasional mistake, you did not make one with the other robots. Awesome. It is phenomenal. <laughs> it is one of my favorites. And I will. Stellar Sip. <laughs> it's just an easy drinker. And if anybody listening wants a solid lager that you can sit down, drink in the middle of the summer, football game, middle of the winter, this is the go-to beer. I think what's cool about this beer, too, is like when you look at uh, like the RTD craze, you look at high noons, you look at the you know, stateside, you look at these drinks. Uh, we actually serve all of our pilsners and lagers in 12-ounce sleek cans just because they're easier. They, they align more with the RTD craze. It's just more attractive to all drinkers. And I think that you know, other robots is a drink that anyone can enjoy for beer, and especially if you're not a beer drinker, you're looking for something easy to, to migrate into beer. I think that that's uh, an easy beer to go into. And, uh, you know, it kind of brings me to our second beer here, our Champion Style. And Champion Style is one of our flagship beers. And so when we go out to distribution, we go out to our tap rooms. This is one of those beers that we always have on tap. We always have available. And again, true to German style, German hops, German grains, German malts. I mean, everything is from Germany and it's a German base. And so it's one of those things that's, a, a, again, one of our flagship beers. And it's perfect for every occasion. Got a really nice, sweet finish to it. And so uh, have a quick sip here and see what you think. Cheers. Uh-oh. I'm being victimized by my flight board. Oh, uh, is it stuck? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. We'll get it. We're going to work it out. We got it. We got it. And I only <laughs> spilled one drop. I was, I'm proud of myself there. I've never Cheers. seen this before. It's interesting. Very good. And again, what you'll see, good, great clarity. This was spun in a centrifuge. Um, great shelf life. And, and, you know, it's interesting. We have a, a partnership with Penn College up in, in Jersey Shore. And so Penn College has a brewery science program, five or six employees now that came out of that program at Penn College. So phenomenal students, great program. Uh, they come out, they have a really good understanding of beer, uh, cellaring. Um, you know, they learn a bit more packaging when they're with us. But every every other aspect of beer, brewing, Recipeing, cellaring, um, they do a great job, and they do a really good job teaching that program there. A gentleman named Timmy Arrington, who uh, started Elk Creek Brewery, is, is the main professor there, and he just does a phenomenal job with these students. We're very proud to have them there, and, and one of the cool things they do is they have a lab in Jersey Shore, and so we get some really deep analytics in terms of the quality of our beer. And so one of the things that we do is we test uh, other uh, we tested other robots versus some other more national brands and we bought stuff we took stuff out of our tank we first packaged it and then six and nine and one year down the road and compared it to the same national beer brand in air quotes the same timeline for those beers and our beer actually held up better than those beers did over a one-year period and so some oh, of the analytics really cool. we got there it was, was the same cool. exact type of style of beer that you guys it was our show? other robots versus oh, okay. that other American made beer with okay. a red and white can. So I'm going to give you one of these. <laughs> Science. So yes. that's my buddy Rob here, who honestly looks, I had shown you a picture of him at one point, mm-hmm. really looks like your logo. And I will do that on the socials. I'm going to put Rob's face next to the logo. That's fine. Perfect. Um, I think he really is the logo come to life. But uh, Rob is a scientist by trade. 
I know he's going to be excited to listen to what you just said. It's so cool that you have that partnership program and that you're able to do those kind of like comparative experiments and things like that. Like that's the first time I've ever heard of something like that going on. I didn't even know like a program existed like that at the college level at this point. Yeah, it's, it's unique to, you know, we're very fortunate and, and my alma mater, like Cumming and Penn College, both out of Wings Sport, have been very active partners in our Jersey Shore location. This isn't a, a spirits broadcast, but I did get a grant with like Cumming to um, research and proof out a process where we rapid age bourbon. You make like a six year bourbon in 21 days. Um, wow. Very, very similar taste, very similar profile. And so I think that between the two, Local colleges up in Williamsport, they've been unbelievable partners, and we're very blessed to have them in our backyard. But they've both been extremely supportive, both from a student perspective, intern perspective, and then also finding ways in which we can partner to better make us better and then also make their students like have more opportunity down the road. Very cool. And as far as us not being a spirits broadcast, we will talk about anything that you can put in a glass <laughs> and drink. Absolutely. And you had mentioned something like that before about like the rapid aging process and that being an emerging thing. Have you have you made anything using that process at this point? Yep. So I would say like the so what we did was we have local corn, local rye, you know, all grown local farmers. I'm eating a chicken sandwich while I'm talking to you right now, so I'm trying to figure this out. <laughs> That's all um, good. We do whole episodes that are just us chewing into the microphone. Yeah, there was That's the federal donuts truck pull up outside. We're like, okay, I, yeah, 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 yeah. No. <laughs> that sandwich is slamming. Um, Potato roll and pickles on one <laughs> buffalo chicken sandwich. You can't go wrong there. So what we do with this bourbon is we have a process that we created and developed uh, myself and another gentleman named Charlie. His last name will remain anonymous, so I don't have to kill everybody that listens to this podcast. So he's a special <laughs> individual. Um, and so we created this process to rapid age bourbon. And basically in 21 days from when we're done fermenting it, have a rapid age product that's equivalent to like a you know five six seven year bourbon and right now we're going through the process of like identifying the right wood right char right everything for that and so I, right now it's tasting like a really high-end jim beam okay and so if you sat down drank it put jim beam down put this next to it so it's like a phenomenal mixer so like jack and cokes whiskey and cokes very very good mixer very good drink I don't know if it's going to be appropriate for like sitting down and like just drinking it straight up like mm-hmm. meat, but it's a pretty good equivalent, but it's great for mixing right now. It's fun. How did you guys even think about like yeah. rapidly, rapidly like aging this? Like, well, like how was that dialogue even presented? We were drinking at the time. And so, <laughs> you know, all, all good ideas happen <laughs> when you're drinking. And uh, yes, and we're just talking about like, cause there's other ways in which things get infused using certain scientific techniques, especially, uh, uh, what we're doing right now is so like olive oils and other food products use these different techniques. And so we modified the technique to be applicable to alcohol. And so we use that, modified it. And then we're in the process now where we can isolate the flavor profiles we want with the bourbon based on the technique we're using. And so we can capture like vanilla, cinnamon, or whatever it is through our process and identify that through science and figure that out. It's pretty cool. That tap mat means... You the science. You button. want me to hit the button again? Yes, this All is right. very science, scientific here. <laughs> <laughs> science. Maybe that'll be the eventual experiment with Penn, which is taking a traditionally barrel-aged spirit and putting it next to that rapid process and seeing how those two line up with each other. I would love that. Yeah, I would like a couple different ones to try it, see if you can pick out which one's rapid age, which one isn't. That'd be awesome. Um, as I make sweet love with my chicken sandwich here, I'll, <laughs> which is delightful. Hey, this is for all ages. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, no. 21 and above, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say all my ages bad. that are able to drink. My question was the uh, names of the first two we have here, yeah. the other robots, 
Where do those names come from? There's always a good story behind that. So we have like a, a, a spreadsheet and then we have a text line where just like, if you have a good idea for a name, we kind of float it by everybody and just, they're all very random. Some of them are like, okay, this is, there's a reason why this, like we had an Italian Pilsner called Pompeii. And uh, if you dry hop too fast, the pressure builds up in your tank and it basically like shoots beer out of the top of it. And so okay. the individual dry hopping Pompeii for a dry hop Pilsner was uh, dry hopping too fast and it exploded. And it was a 90 barrel fermenter. The guy was up on a scissor lift and it was shooting up 25 feet in the air. Just like, wow, a volcano erupted. Because that's how we ended up with the name Pompeii. And so some of them have like meaning like that. Um, other robots and champion, like not a great story behind them. I think the highway miles is kind of cool. So like think about like when you look at the label, um, back in the day, Rad Racer for Nintendo is on oh. the label. And so it's one of the best games ever. <laughs> yes. So highway Rad miles Racer. was one of those games where like, uh, it's a West coast IPA. So the one of the most prominent highways in the country is on the West coast in California. And so like, kind of like that Rad Racer vibe versus like the highway miles for the West coast IPA tribute is pretty cool. Very um, cool. You know, Cardboard Cutout was a cool name we came up with. And so, like, we blended the West Coast and East Coast style together. And if you hold a map of the United States on a pin, um, we did a Cardboard Cutout. And where it balanced that was where, like, the center of the country. And so, like, we did Cardboard Cutout for, like, balancing a, a, a Cutout United States map on there to, to balance between. It's like Kansas somewhere. I forget the name of the yeah. town, but that's in Kansas, <laughs> uh, where the actual country balances on pin. So you never know. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. And then Karate Bomb and Explosion. So Karate Bomb was actually made up by my son. Uh, Karate Explosion was made up by our distribution lead, Dan. That's his dark team name. And so he made Karate Explosion, and then Logan Loves Ninjas. And so he called it Karate Bomb because it's a double IPA, higher ABV. Okay. And then it's a ninja. It's a bomb wearing a ninja mask on the front of it, wearing a black outfit, doing karate kick. And so he Very designed cool. the label with Abby. <laughs> A little intimidating. He came up one. with Karate Bomb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plus, he was like five at the time when he thought of it, too, which is like, okay, where's your brain going, bud? Like, yeah. <laughs> Here's your future marketing department exactly, right there. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So next up, I think we have a barley wine. Now, I am, full disclaimer, I am not familiar with barley wines at all, so this is going to be, it's been a very long time since I've had a barley wine. Yeah, I'm interested to hear from Joey the process yeah. that went into creating this one. I am a big fan of barley wines in general. I like uh, dark beer stouts, porters, yeah. barley yes, wines, that, that sort of thing. Things that hit maybe a little heavier. So interesting note, so this is brewed with, I believe, a Saison yeast. Um, we have a fooder that is designated towards like a Saison type style. And so this beer got aged on our fooders out in our, in our uh, brewery outside there. So it adds like a nice smoky oaky and just a little bit of a different flavor to it because it's aged in, a, in, a, in wood versus being aged on stainless. And then barley wines are an acquired taste. You know, I think that a lot of brewers love these beers, and I think it's very unique beers, very unique style. You don't see them very often because, you know, like an IPA, I brewed a 10-barrel a batch of this beer, which is technically really good. It's a very good-tasting beer. It's a very cool beer to drink. I brewed the same amount of an IPA. It would, I could sell 10 IPAs of that amount, and at the same time it would take me to sell this beer because people just mm. get afraid of that. They're so used to the IPA. They know what they're getting. They know they're getting juicy. They know what they're, but like technically this is a really good tasty beer. It's just very different than any other style for brewers. No, they, to they produce they, this because of that aspect of the business concept. Well, no, I think they don't produce them because they don't move like other That's beers. That's what I'm do. saying. Yeah. yeah so okay. I think that these beers are like styles that brewers like to do. They like to drink. 
but it's like we had we aged some of this on a barrel too so you have like a different flavor to it so this is like the unbarreled age and then we have a barrel age program with this so like there's a bottles out there of this barley wine that is asian barrels and this is just straight up not asian barrels it's just one of those things where you got to make a decision whether or not you want to have like really cool unique okay. beer styles that like are very different and diverse or do you want to like keep the lights on and just do ipas and so you got to balance it between the two of those and so you know, every year we'll do like maybe one of these a barley wine we'll mm. do a couple porters and so you got to think about okay how do i balance the sales versus like the fun stuff to do for brewers to be creative and that's the hardest part is balancing those two out together because this is a pretty cool beer i really do enjoy this a lot i mean you said that but even if you didn't say it initially but you taste that subtle smokiness to it it's like, got it's a really yeah. Really, it's really kind of interesting in a, in a good way. I would, I, I've been sniffing it. I haven't taken a big sip yet, and it's got a really like sweet nose to it. And it's it's rather like a lot of barley wines you smell. That's not what you get. You get like yeah. this heavy Belgium. I'm going to punch you in the face with barley wine right now. Yeah, and and so this one did come out a little sweeter, um, and I think it drinks more like a like a sweeter red to me than it does. That's a really good comparison. That's a really, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, it absolutely does. And it's got a nice, this was barrel aged, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can taste the oak for sure, but it goes down very smoothly and it's complex. It's not, this is not a simple beer at all. I would have to sit and contemplate for a minute all the different. It takes a second. How much, what's the ABV of this too? I feel like I should know that, but I don't. Um, It's good reviews though. It's very high rated beer. I don't know the answer to that. I got to find that. It, it tastes like a traditional mm. Belgian Trappist barley wine. Like, it really yeah. does. It's it's really good. <laughs> yeah, Patrick. Be, I'm t- totally honest about this. Like, I'm surprised. Yeah. I like, you know what I mean? I'm not used to this style at all. I don't go for this at all. This is really, really good. So it's hard to drink a lot. So I always call these, mm. like, compliment beers to me. And so what I mean by that is if I'm drinking a Pilsner or a lager, like, I can drink them by the pint and drink mm-hmm. as many as you possibly can over time. But, like, these are beers that are a treat to sit next to it. And so... I always let these types of beers get warmer as they sit out, and I want to taste them as they get warmer because I think complexity happens when it gets closer to room temperature. And so, like stouts, porters, um, Belgians, and those beers, like I feel as if they're meant to be drunk, drank closer to room temperature than versus being very cold because you miss nuance when things are cold. Mm. So, if you think about when you're drinking coffee, you know, Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts, you get a cup of coffee, it's 8,000 degrees, and they do that. Because I always feel as if they're trying to hide imperfections in their beans and, and can't develop flavor when it's really hot because your taste buds can't actually taste nuance when they're very cold or they're very hot. And so, like, beers like this that have a lot of depth, like, I like to let them, I take a sip when it's, like, right out of the tap, and then every 10 or 15 minutes take another sip because then you kind of see the journey of the beer and the flavor behind it because as, the, as it gets warmer, you pick up nuance, you pick up complexity, you pick up depth. And that's where you. That's why wines are drank. Red wines, especially, are drank at room temperature because mm-hmm. you get all the flavoring yes. from that wine at room temperature. And so, like stouts and barley wines and some of those other beers, like I always let them. Like I, I like to drink them as they warm up to see all the different nuance when you're drinking the beer. And that's phenomenal advice. I am a wine guy. Like I like red wine. Yeah. I said before on the podcast, one of my favorite college class ever was the wine tasting or geography of wine class that I took. <laughs> yeah. The best semester I ever spent. IUP. Good yeah. job. Oh, no, it was phenomenal. It was taught by uh, Dr. Robert Sechrist, who never wore shoes the entire semester, even though it started in the winter. Good for him. Uh, he was amazing. And uh, because IUP is uh, a dry campus, we could not walk out with any open bottles. So we 
I had to stay after class to make sure that no one got in trouble. We had to make sure that there were no empty bottles left. So I could be wrong, but wasn't IUP also voted as one of the biggest party schools? That is perhaps a true statement. And yes. it is a dry campus. It is a dry campus. Right. That is also a <laughs> true statement. How does math, that math work? That's awesome. Uh, I'm not entirely. Let me tell you, you take one step off that campus, it's still incredibly not dry. But mm. So one question, Joey, that I wanted to ask you was, I'm, I'm star- we were talking about barrel aging and, yes. and that how the uh, barley wine here was barrel aged, and this is the timber, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to make sure I'm getting the names in there, too. But uh, I'm looking at barrels right here. So is there something barrel aging like 10 feet to my left? Is that what? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And we, so we have a, a, a couple of different barrel programs. We have a barrel program here. And so we'll carve off like a portion of a stout or a porter or whatever it is we want to barrel age here. We get different types of barrels. We do bourbons. We do tequilas, which is kind of cool. People don't do age on that. We do rums. And so we try to diversify that. And then Jersey Shore, because we just have a bigger brew house and bigger tanks, we can actually do more of a, a barrel program up there. And what's kind of neat about that is that we'll age the same beer on two or three different types of barrels. And then at the end of the day, we'll blend together a different ratio from each barrel type to get like the ultimate stout. And so like Jet Over Heels, which is the beer out there that we have, that has, is 15.5% tiramisu stout, which is delicious. But then we had it in three different types of barrels, and then we had different ratios. We blended it together and landed on one at the end, and then that was our blend for the beer, and we conditioned it and then bottled it. And so like there's just so much fun stuff you can do with barrels. That one sat for over a year uh, and, and so I think that when you do a barrel aging program, like right now is the time you actually think about that because mm-hmm. you want to release it in the fall. And so we're right now we're sourcing barrels. We're looking for barrels. We're looking ways in which we can age for six to nine months prior to the end of the year. It's like right now is when you actually start your barrel age program and you brew it in February and January, and then you'll age it up until September, October to do that winter release. And so like right, actually right now is when you start thinking about your, your barrel aged beer. Okay. Is it a complicated process to locate the barrels? No, there's a bunch of good, it's just, it's quality. So do you want like Heaven Hill? Do you want like uh, Buffalo Trace? And so it depends on what you want. So there's a bunch of manufacturers around there have like those really good quality barrels. And the cool thing about that, like you'll get like a a good bourbon barrel and you can usually get a pint or two of like the actual bourbon out of it when they send it to you. So you can either mix your beer back into it or you can take it out and drink it. Oh, that's neat. (laughs) We do a little bit of both. Do you, are you, do you want to say who you source from, or are you allowed to say who you source from? Or? Uh, like Northeast Barrel Company um, is one of the ones we primarily go through, and but there's, I mean, there's a lot of them that you buy barrels from. And the process with that, once it's actually you know conditioned and you know aged in the barrel, what do you do after you like basically extract it from there? How's uh, that work? We'll put it back in a bright tank. We'll condition it. Okay. Cool it down. Then we'll we'll package it off of a bright tank. We usually do, we we do bombers, like 20 ounce bottles or 22 ounce bottles. And so we have like a little gun we do it. We do a a bottling day where we'll have everybody come in and help out. So we'll clean the bottles, sanitize them, package it, and then we'll put the cap on it and then we'll dip it in wax and then let it sit and dry and harden and we'll package it in the box and then take it to market. There you go. I'll ask the inappropriate question as yes. the, the guy who's always wanted to ask this. So when you get to the end of that bottling day, has anybody ever like laid down on the floor and you've just gone like right into the open mouth? Or- <laughs> yes. Yes. Of course. Of course there is. Yes. And, I mean, that was the and, answer and, I so desperately yeah, needed. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and like those days are fun. I mean, they're meant to be fun. It's meant to get, it's a team building effort is what I always think about it. So like you're always getting together, you're having a couple of drinks, you're trying everything, you're making sure everything is tasting right before you bottle it. But uh, it's always a lot of fun. It's one of the great parts about doing this podcast is understanding the culture of different places and and 
every place that brews beer has that mm-hmm. that, that sense of togetherness and, and community. And it's, it, it's not me, it's we. It's a group effort. It's that sort of thing. And That's I, true. I love that. And um, I, I love the variety that you have here as well. And I know, Andy, you've made comments in the past about places that kind of pigeonhole themselves into one particular style of beer or just kind of like IPA is their thing. But we, there's such a wonderful variety here. As we're drinking through, I know we have another one to go on a flight. I might get down on my hands and knees and beg Joey for one of the stouts that's out there, too. <laughs> no, I mean, personally, like, it's just like with the IPAs, like some breweries or some locations that are more IPA focused and heavy on that. It just brings in a very set just dynamic of people that are only used to those traditional types of styling and sampling. So, like, you know, they're all IPAs, oh, West Coast, New England, whatever you want to call hazy. But, like, when you have a brewery like Ball Birds, that has variations, like they give everybody options. Expand your palate, take a chance. That's why they have flights. It's pretty simple. Like you, you'll be surprised at what you like if you actually just go outside of your comfort zone. It's really easy, but a lot of people that are just so IPA focused, they don't take that tendency to do that. And I think that's one of the problems with some of the brewery industry. I mean, who am I to say it's a problem, obviously, but like, <laughs> it's just one of those things. It's just like you have, like, you know, I, I'm a, I, my favorite IPAs, are, like, I love double dry hop IPAs. I, that's my go-to. I don't like lactose in any beers. I mean, you could put anything with lactose and it will taste delicious. It just, lactose just nullifies anything that's terrible with a beer. I will beg to differ on the anything will taste delicious with lactose. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. I get but. that. I get that. Go ahead, buddy. Sit down. Yeah. Oh, we have, we have, do we have a value, our, our guest a little. It's a little bald bird. I, I yeah. think so. A full head of hair bird with yeah, no this, beard. Oh. <laughs> this is I'm, the pre-bald bird. I'm, say, I'm a little jealous of the full head of hair. Yeah. You can go ahead and say hi if you want. No thanks. No thanks? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's all Remember right. He finished his French fry and said, no thanks. Okay. Yeah. That, that's all right. <laughs> You're going to enjoy your fries? All right, good deal. Good deal. I fully support that decision. I'm an avid lover mm. of French fries. You're going to meet my daughter at some point. She's sampled every great French fry in the greater Pennsylvania area. I feel like uh, it's a good indicator of the quality of the restaurant because like, it, it's really easy to make soggy French fries by not being patient. It's similar to lager, actually, because if you take your time with French fries, you fry them all the way, you make them crispy. It's like you have a dynamite yep. thing with the... the you don't need over-the-top seasoning, just subtle seasoning, and that's just enough with a fryer. And similar to a pilsner, you just be patient. Yep. You don't need the best. Uh, you don't need the most ingredients, but you no. just need the right ingredients. You need time and patience, and you get a perfect uh, end result. Simple and fresh is key. All right, I'll get up on my French fry soapbox. So here's a fun, <laughs> here's here's a fun fact about Matt. One of my first jobs, uh, I was a line cook at Fuddruckers. Oh, um, oh! When there used to be a Fuddruckers in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So shout out to anybody I worked with that Where Fuddruckers was that back at in Bethlehem. Day. It was on one ninety one, um, about a mile uh, south of the exit on twenty two, going towards. Wait, what is it now? Uh, it's a daycare center. Fuddruckers to daycare. What a, what a transition! <laughs> yeah, but I was either the burger guy or the fried food guy. So there was, there is an art, and I will say it: there is an art to making a decent French fry. Whether or not that's making sure you actually change out your fryer grease. And sadly, one of the things I took away from that job was I go someplace and I eat a French fry. I'm like, you haven't changed your fryer grease in like three weeks, and I can, t- I can taste old French fry in here. Or just using, you know, fries that have been sitting under a warmer forever so they're not crispy. They're just, they got soggy a second time. 
but I descend my French fry soapbox. Oh, God. There's, there's a window into Matt at 17, 18 years <laughs> old where I would come home from work just smelling like uh, French fry. And, oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, that was always, my cologne growing up all the way. Yeah. Just like, what does it smell like? I smell like bacon grease and French fries. That's it. Yeah, I always feel like, uh, well, it's funny because I always feel like, uh, like brewers and chefs have the hardest time going out to eat and out to drink because you have a critical eye that no one else oh. sees. So if you're making fry, you're cooking behind the scenes, you're doing stuff like you know when things are bad. You know, it's just you're you're hypersensitive to anything anybody else does, and like it's a way in which you can have a, a phenomenal dinner and understand, yep. or it can ruin your night. Yep. If like eight out of ten times, it probably pisses you off and ruins your night because you know when it's bad. You know when the oil is old. You know it's just like you know stuff that people don't know, and it just makes it harder because like, you're in the industry. You got you got any good ones about you don't even have to name the place, but some place you went semi recently, you had a beer, and you're like, nope, that's not it. I, th- I don't I don't think it's necessarily going to a brewery because like everybody, everyone is in brewing. You, you mentioned earlier about how collaborative it is and like fr- like everyone's friendly. Everybody mm-hmm. get, gets along and like we help people, they help us, and so it's different from any other industry. And so like there's always a craft that goes. There's a story behind a beer which is what makes craft special. So whether it's great or not, it's just, but I respect it because it's like a craft beer. But where I get, I can tell is like if I go to a, another restaurant, they don't clean their tap lines. Mm. They can completely ruin a beer. And so I think that like we clean our lines every week. We don't have to do that by law, but we do every week and we blast them in both locations. And so I think that it's important to, so people can really taste and appreciate the quality of your beer if your tap lines are tainted in any way, it ruins your beer. And so I think that when I go to, you know, other restaurants and out to eat to places, you can tell immediately, kind of like your story earlier with the oil, I can tell when your lines are dirty immediately. I think that's the biggest pet peeve because, like, you go in there, if you could drink, like, a, like Sunshine Pilsner for Trogues, there's, like, certain, like just, you know what you're getting because yeah. you, you know the beer, the quality. And when you taste it and it tastes it, you know exactly what's wrong. It's usually their lines are dirty or they haven't been taking care of their taps. And I think that's one of my biggest pet peeves is when people have a craft beer bar, they love craft beer, it's all local, and then they don't take care of their tap systems and it taints the beer and maybe it might turn somebody off from you because it's outside of your control, but it's Mm -hmm. frustrating because, like, you know you're making good beer, like a lot of the breweries around the area in, in Pennsylvania but then someone else that's not taking care of their tap system or taking, doing things the right way, it might taint someone on your beer because they're not taking care of their so tap system. So that individual I think that's probably, tough. when they go to the brewery, they wouldn't order it's, that because it, they get to, oh, I it, see. Or they might not buy your cans. They might, you know, it just kind of pushes yeah. them away from your brand because someone doesn't take care of their system up front. And so that, that's something that's like, there's nothing you can do about it, but I wish we could. So, so like you just said, like if a restaurant has your beer, you know, and they're serving it, but you have it and you're sampling it, and you see that their lines aren't like, are you able to like, you know, pull the manager aside and speak with them about it, or no? I mean, it's just not. It just it's never going to change. It's so, right. so okay, you, gotcha. you know, especially these bigger craft houses that have like 24, 30, 40 taps. Mm. It doesn't matter. Um, it, but it's just frustrating because like that's why I always get bottled beer or canned beer when I go to a restaurant, unless you know their draft lines are clean because it could take. One of the best beers you ever had, like Pliny the Elder, mm-hmm. and make it taste bad because they don't clean the lines. It's like it's it's not. That's my one of my biggest frustrations. Gotcha. We talked about the episode we did up at uh, Elementary Brewing in yeah. Hackensack. Ryan had talked about some pubs that you go to. You run into like they've had Yingling on that line forever, and you'll get the response of, "Oh, it's it's the same beer. I don't need to clean that." And then you have you know you walk away and you're like, "I am ill. I don't feel well because yes. nobody scrubbed that tap line." forever 
I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. nothing like food poisoning, but it's still that like, keeps that. You get that. You know, it you don't feel good after. Oh, you can tell as soon as you take a you, as soon as you take a sip and you get that sour taste yeah. that's on the mm-hmm. back end. You're like, mm-hmm. somebody run some soap through that. <laughs> do me a favor and yeah, and, and, and c- ciders do that. So a lot of people have ciders on tap right now. Cider is one of the biggest contaminants of lines, and they also like taint them to have like that apple-y cider mm-hmm. taste on it. And so like you'll know, like we had an IPA one time where we switched over our beer after our tap cleaning from a cider line and then you could taste cider in the beer and so you learn very quickly that that doesn't work and uh um, how that goes but again it's just like the tension to tap lines is so important and i think a lot of people don't take do that as often or as much as they should so what is the last member of the flight here that we have that is our highway miles and so um, this is a west coast ipa and again i I think that if i'm drinking an ipa i think a a west coast is probably the one i'd lean towards because i think i like the bitterness Mm -hmm. like the bigger ibus i like the west coast hops the centennials the um they're they're i like them better in terms of a beer and i think that they're cleaner crisper and i think there's less margin for error within a west coast versus the east coast and the hazier ones and i think that this is again another beer that's one of our flagship beers um, you find us a lot of out in distribution, like at your Acme's, your Giants, you know, some of your bigger chains in the area, like Highway Miles is one of our beers that's in there. And uh, earlier we were talking about Nintendo, and this is based off a Rad Racer, <laughs> and so one of the most prominent highways in the country is in California, and so like uh, West Coast IPA and uh, Highway Miles, but super smooth. We spun this through a centrifuge as well, so it's very clean, very crisp, very clear, but very smooth finish for a West Coast IPA. And I'll, I'll take this cheesy opportunity to give a shout to my sponsor. If you want to see one of those highways out in California or any place else you want to travel to, check out Poppins Travel. It'll get you where you need to go. And as I always say, my buddy John will find you good beer along the way if that's what you're into. So that thank you very perfect, much, Poppins. That was a perfect segue. And that was that was awesome. This um, is an incredible West Coast IPA. Yeah, and I think very the, traditional. Yeah. The nose on this is good too. So we've had this beer sitting out here for probably forty minutes. And the nose didn't go away. You still get to smell the hops. You still get to smell the beer. You still get the taste of the beer. And it's a little warmer than what it was out of the tap. And so it's really good flavor to it. And so, again, I think that uh, you don't get the hop burn on the end. It smooths out. And so it's a really good technical West Coast IPA. I like that, the hop burn yeah. on the back end. The piney malt you, flavoring you, you is You have good. finally verbalized what I'm actually not a huge fan of, the overwhelming mm. yeah. On the back end, which is why, honestly, and West Coast people don't kill me, I'm not a huge fan of the West Coast IPA, but this one is not overwhelming no. on the back end. And there are a lot of great West Coast IPAs that are not overwhelming, but I've had some that, that are like, have hops and just chew on the plants, and this is definitely not that case. Yeah, and I think, it, it, again, it goes back to patience, and I think if, mm. if you let a beer settle out and kind of take its time, um, you won't get that hot burn, but if you rush beers and they're green, you're going to get that burn on it. It just doesn't taste good. It's not palatable, and so I think that if you're patient and, uh, you know, just take your time and give it a couple extra days, I think you, really, you avoid a lot of that hot burn and some of the other issues with the beer. Yeah, this, this, the, the hop flavor does yeah. not linger. It's very, just, it's very subtle. It's very nice. It's very not drinkable. Not at all, yes. So if I get down on my hands and knees, can I beg you for one of those stouts before we wrap up? Uh, 100%. Um, right. we have a, 100% for what? To get yeah, it on over, his hands and knees or we, what? Yeah, both of them. <laughs> Ooh, boy. A jet over heels. See the big dog. Um, this is the one I was talking about earlier. So this is the one we aged on barrels for over a year. Ooh. And uh, it's a, a, like a pastry stout method, but it's a tiramisu stout. And so it has like the like more of a dessert beer, but it drinks like a port wine. So if you're into like wines, like you said, you were, you know, port's a little thicker, you sip it, you drink it a little slower. And this is one of those beers where you just take your time because it's 15 and a half percent. 
I'm about to die happy right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, is there any way to when to it's aging? Like in its barrel, you know, it's, it's aging. Is there any way to taste the profile of it, or you just, you honestly can't open it? Barrel aging, and so typically what you'll do is you'll stack them. I mean, you know, this is the racks that you can yeah. stack them on top of each other, and so they're meant to take weight and take pressure. And so we can go up ten rows high if we want to, and each one of them will have like a nail or some sort of like screw in the front of it, where when you take it out, you can pull the liquid from it to try it, and then. You'll know, like, as it's aging, you're okay. getting the flavor you want, stuff like that. And again, how I said before is like we took different types of barrels and we actually blended them together to come up with this beer here. Okay. And this beer, I think, is from a complexity perspective, it's one of the most complex beers we've ever made. And you get flavors like you get caramel, you get currant, you get raisins, you get espresso, you get chocolate, you get pastry, you get custard. I mean, it's just like. The more you drink it, the more you, yeah. Matt, we're gonna guy. we're gonna we're gonna send you we're gonna send you home with this, and depending uh, if it's warm or cold. So even even that little that little, you know, very brief introduction of air doesn't affect the quality of it. No, not at all. No, and actually, uh, um, I, I I like it, and like I said, we wax this one so you can age it, and so like we have you know friends that like we did our first out a couple year ago years ago he still has that bottle in his basement so this is something like you can age like wine oh wow oh and yeah. it'll only get better and i think what we're going to start doing with our stouts you'll notice on this is start using wax on the top of them and so we just ordered wax for our next iteration we're doing for our next wine we're releasing mm-hmm. so we just uh took a beer out of barrels in jersey shore it was in a bright tank. I tasted it the other day, and it's like eleven percent bomb. It's awesome, and we just oh, ordered wow. a wax for it, so we're gonna have a wax bottle for that as well. And then okay. we're gonna start doing more of a like a reserve stout series for barrels every year, and so we're gonna do multiple different types of stouts and flavors, but only do a hundred bottles of each. And oh. so get them while we got them, and so they're gonna go quick. And so like, well, we're like are start you gonna have doing- like a little lottery for it then? I don't know. We'll see how it goes. You never, you never know. Cause you yeah. know you Thunder do Dome re- style, open the door and <laughs> yeah. see what happens. Or- Get on boxing gloves for the last bottle. You've got to fight <laughs> each other to figure it out. There goes a community <laughs> event, right? <laughs> well, that is a community event. It is a community event. event. It's like the slap fighting. Like I want to have slap fighting someday at the brewery one of these days. You guys, I, don't know, I go down rabbit holes yeah. at night and I'll watch the reels of people slap fighting each other. It's pretty yeah. hilarious. But It grabs your attention immediately. Like, this is, this is a real event. This is really is. You know, exactly. Let's, get, yeah. let's, let's yeah. slap each other in, a, in the face. Yeah, but this beer is really cool. And so this is like uh, every year we do a, a release, and this is like our Thanksgiving beer. Mm-hmm. So we try to do it before Thanksgiving. I feel like when you're with family, friends for Thanksgiving, what better way to share than a bottle share and sharing stouts and especially something that's like pretty complex and pretty cool. We like to do that. What's your favorite, one of your favorite beers that you guys have brewed so far since you're, you know, since day one? I mean, you guys have had a few brewers, but like what's, what's your favorite? It's like take all my I, children I, and pick I know, a that's also like, yeah, What's your yeah. favorite movie? It's, it's complicated. I get it. The Pompeii has probably been the one I've drank a lot of. We did a collaboration with the Bullfrog Brewery in Williamsport. We did a simple German pills, and it's like simplest grain bill. It's like really easy to brew. Uh, we should probably grab one of those for you too so you can try it. But it's just all Germany and like one little okay. can of goodness. And I, I really like like that one a lot. The Pompeii was very good. I like Champion a lot. Like I drink that whenever I'm up here. I usually drink Champion yeah. style. So I think I, I lean more towards those German styles as in terms of my favorites. I think the Jet Overheels Stout. If I'm like just looking for beer to sip throughout the day, like that's probably one of the better ones we've done, from like a big beer perspective. And then IPA wise, I, I think probably Good Jams is my favorite mm-hmm. ale we do, like yeah. Pale Ale or IPA, because I just think the nose on that one's really good. Okay, it's fruity, floral great nose too it's easy drinking it's smooth it's not gonna you know get you crushed 
8%. It's like a really good sessionable beer. So I think Good Jams is probably my favorite, like, ale slash pale ale IPA. And when I said something earlier, too, about, like, how some breweries and, you know, everything focuses on IPA heavy. I remember that you guys made that one Kolsch collaborative. Last year. Yeah, that was a very unique because I'm not personally, again, like, just similar to the um, barley wine, I'm not familiar with Kolsch. I was very surprised by that. It was really, it was amazing. It's light, refreshing, yep. um, really cool beer. And I think McCall, McCall Collective was our partner on that one. And uh, they, they just make phenomenal beers. I mean, yeah. What do you think that knows? They get cherry, you get chocolate, you get cherry chocolate, you get custard. I'm in the middle of a religious experience over here right now, <laughs> so you got to give me a second. <laughs> His hands are above the table. That's a good thing. Ooh, Deliciously complex. You get the vanilla oh, up wow. front. It is super smooth. There's like a cherry flavor in there. One of my main complaints with stouts for a long time has been you get so many that they just pack coffee bean into it and all you get is coffee. And that is not what I'm drinking right. I'm going to take another sip, <laughs> see what there's, else I get out of it. There's actually no coffee or coffee bean in that at all. So I it's all dried. I, I taste graham cracker on the back end. You'll get yeah. it. You'll get that, but it's all derived from the malt. There's some other stuff to get the tiramisu flavor. There's some other adjuncts added. But as far as like the coffee, the deeper chocolate stuff, most of that is derived from the malt. It finishes with that nice cream flavor, and it's just super smooth. On the, this is just fun to drink, start to finish. Yeah, that is an like incredible. This, this is a. This is for me. Is um, Melissa beautiful? We're buying some of these to take home because this is a fire beer. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. She it's, knows when I talk about fire beers, to sit out by, sit outside, have a fire, and just sp- enjoy split it, a couple yeah. of good beers. Split it, sip it. Like you don't drink it fast. And this again, again I call them like compliment beers. I like to have a pilsner and have this like get warmer as it drinks next to it. So I'll put it like a 10 ounce glass and that's like, you'll drink it over a couple hours, but every single time you drink it, it's different. With the tiramisu, it's almost like there's a little bit of like a s'more in there yeah. too. You get graham cracker. I mean, you get, and this is on bourbon barrels. This had like, uh, I think we had it on a sherry barrel. Chardonnay. Sherry barrel. Yeah. Sherry would make sense for some of the flavor coming out of there for sure. And you said this one is 15.5%. <laughs> oh, no. boy. Okay. Yeah, so it's 15.5, and you would never know that. No. This is a beer you have when everybody's no. in bed, and you just want to watch some. Just chill. Just yeah. chill out. Yeah. <laughs> watch some TV and just hang out. That's a good nightcap, but at the same yes. time, as you said earlier, going with like a Thanksgiving meal. Like a big fat steak. Like you drink this with a steak, it's like a perfect compliment. Oh. Or if you reduce that down for a sauce, like reduce that down for a steak sauce and throw some mushrooms in it, that'd be phenomenal. <laughs> I've always been a stout guy. I really have been. I really, I mean, it's just seasonal yeah. beers. I'm not a Ooh. big fan of the seasonal stuff. This is incredible. But drink sweet, so it's not mm. your traditional stout. And I think I think the, the coffee thing, so it's really hard to control the bitterness if you throw beans in the mash. And so we have a different technique. We have a coffee cream ale, some other things we do to like treat it differently to get the coffee flavor in the nose without the bitterness. We have more control over the flavor by doing a little bit of a different technique. Uh, the fatness inside me too, just realized this would probably be delicious on some ice cream. It would. Ooh. We've actually done that. You've done that? A float. Yeah. yeah. Throw like a little bit of ice cream on top Ooh. of a, a 10 ounce thing of that. It's delightful. Or whipped cream. Call that the cross-eyed float. <laughs> big, big time flavor. Yeah, big time flavor. I love the very festive. Matt asked the question a while ago too. So tell us the story about the Jet on Heels name. Okay, so the Jed over heels. Okay, Jed over heels. Yes. So we have a guy that works for us um, named Jed. So when my when we bought the Jersey Shore property, we basically got the whole building and and tear it down and then rebuild it up into the brewery tap room and then make it into a manufacturing facility. So my dad, who's been building houses for fifty years. 
and my brother who worked for him, a guy named Nate, who's now our packaging lead, and a guy named Jed, worked for my dad for like 30 years. So we've known Jed. He's been a family friend forever. So Jed actually runs our our packout team. And so he has like 20 employees now. So he's kind of overseeing a pretty good uh, chunk of our employees for our packaging and our manufacturing facility. And so Jed was out having fun, I'll say. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. And he was outside at this bar and standing against the deck. And when he was like drinking and telling a story, he got real animated. Well, he lost his balance and fell over the railing. Oh, and no. So his feet went up over his head. He flipped over and he broke his pelvis. Oh, good. And so, Jed, yeah, why he was working for us. And so he broke his pelvis and he was out of work for like, I don't know, five or six weeks. But he uh, ended up breaking his pelvis and uh, had to go in recovery. And so, Jed over heels is a tribute to him. Uh, having a little bit too much fun and uh, flipping over a railing and breaking his pelvis. <laughs> so are you saying that's what somebody has to do around here to get their name on a beer? <laughs> yes. Is that the yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. There, so, hey, we there, have, there, there, there we is have hope. an option here. We have yeah. a couple options here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have enough ammo for Andy to yeah, name yeah. any beer I've, after I've walked him, on like, that uh, point. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> Joey, I want to thank you again. Just absolutely. Oh, anytime fantastic beer today thank you so much for having matt and friends here anytime to record live at bald birds appreciate this very much andy thank you for joining us no, it's my pleasure it's always a great time to come down here and just you know participate in this obviously with you with matt and friends drink the universe but to see some great friends and their continued success at bald birds brewery and the only way that i can end this episode is like this stellar sip This podcast is a production of Unfiltered Studios. If you would like to know more about joining Unfiltered Studios, please visit our website at unfpod.com for more information. This episode's boozy quote comes from actor Jack Nicholson, who said, Beer, it's the best damn drink in the world. On social media, please like, follow, and push all the buttons for us. That's Matt and Friends DTU at Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and TikTok. For more information about the podcast, as well as links to our merch store, social media, and all the places you can listen to us, visit our website, mattandfriendsdtu.com. That's mattandfriendsdtu.com. Thank you again for listening to Matt and Friends Drink the Universe.